It's a good morning, right? So if I say good morning, you'll reciprocate? Good morning! It is a good morning regardless of the weather or uh, the forecast that we have, the fact that there's no cowboy game going on later on. That's all okay. It's still not only just a good morning, it's a great morning because we're here to worship our God and Father. And my prayer for you is that for the last several days, you've been worshiping God. You've just been doing it in a different place and with fewer people around you. But now we have an opportunity to come together. I mean, that's why we're here, right? I mean, we not only get to worship God, but we get to be around other people who want to worship God. And that's something that's really exciting, isn't it? It's very exciting. I hope you're as excited as I am about lifting up the Lord and giving Him honor for who He is and what He's done for us. And I want to begin this morning by offering a prayer as we lift Him up and may His Word be spoken this morning. Let's pray. Father God, You are an awesome God. You are God and You are King. You are Lord and You are Master. But one thing that maybe we take for granted, I know I do, is the fact that I can call You Father. Lord, for so many years, uh, it it was uh, as though no one uh, could approach you. There was a system of priests and high priests and and so many things. But then you sent your son and your son called you father. And your son would look around and say, you are my brothers and my sisters. And together we are all children and we don't need a high priest. We have a God and a king who also is... Abba, Father. And so, Lord, I pray that that we realize that not only are you our mighty creator and our sustainer, but you're also our daddy. And so, Lord, we just want to thank you for that. Thank you for not only allowing us to be in your kingdom, but to be your family. Lord, we give you praise for that this morning. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Little Ma and Little Pa, that's what we called them. I, don't, I think they had real names, but as far as I knew them, it was always Little Ma and Little Pa. And they came by their names honestly. They were both, well, they were little. But as long as I knew them, they were a little bit older. Uh, little Ma and Little Pa, when I was introduced to them, uh, they were in their 80s. Uh, and one thing I remember about Little Ma and Paul, besides the fact that they were both little, they also had a dog. Can anybody guess what the dog's name was? Little Dog. And it was a little chihuahua. It was a feisty little guy. I loved Little Ma and Little Paul. I'm not sure I really liked Little Dog. And Little Dog did not like me, even as a little kid. And I began to grow up, and Little Ma and Little Paul, they didn't grow up. They just grew older. Uh, but they were always little Ma and little Pa to me. But years before that, years and years before I was introduced to them, they had several kids, a whole slew of them, nine of them in fact, and one of them, and I'm going to get in big trouble if she hears this, but one of them they named Flossie Jewel. Uh, and she does not go by Flossie. She goes by Grandma. And I knew her as Jewel for a long time. It was not until I was an adult that I learned her name was Flossie. And so every time I would see her, I would say, Hi, Grandma Flossie, how are you? Oh, that's not my name. But Grandma Jewel was family. Jewel married a man by the name of Weldon. And Weldon and Jewel had two children 
both sons. One of them was named Donald Weldon and another named Brian Keith. And those became my father and my uncle. My dad would marry uh, a Judy Marie Lee Master. And he and she would have three boys, Randall Wayne, Kevin Doe Wayne, and Douglas Keith. I've just given you a little bit, a, a genogram is what they like to call of it, of my paternal side of my family, starting off with little Ma and little Pa. And I could tell lots and lots of stories about little Ma and little Pa and Grandma Jewel, like the time that we locked her keys in the car when she had taken me to Toys R Us. And we had to wait for somebody to drive across town to unlock the door. I could tell you lots and lots of stories about Don. It sounds so weird to say, and Judy. But to me, they were just mom and dad. But what they really were is that they were family. You see, God created family for a purpose. Because when family comes together, we love one another, we support one another, even when we disagree with one another. And on some days, occasionally, we don't even like each other. But God created family, and God knew that family was good, and it was important, and it was wholesome, and it was in this unit that a husband and a wife could love a child and nurture a child and let that child know more about the Lord. Satan realizes what a powerful tool in the kingdom a family is. That a mother and father working together and loving their children and raising their kids and surviving adolescence could bring glory to God. We're going to talk about family for just a few minutes this morning, but I want you to know, don't worry, this is not going to be a parenting seminar. I want you to know, I am not equipped or qualified or intelligent or knowledgeable enough to speak about how to raise children. I thought I did. I honestly thought I did. And then I had a thing enter into my house. It's called a teenager. (laughs) And all of a sudden, everything I thought I knew about parenting went out the door. I have Wyatt, who's almost a teenager. I have Lily, who acts like a teenager. And I have Gracie, who's pretty sure she already is a teenager. And so it's kind of been contagious. And so I I want you to let you know, I haven't figured it out. In fact, I've, I've spent a lot of time visiting with some of you who seem to have it more together than I do, and I'm just trying to pray to get through this period and love those children and let them come to know the Lord. But here's what I know. I know that because I have a family and because I love the Lord and because I want my children to come to know the Lord, I want you to know that my family is under attack. Satan does not like families. Because he knows that families can bring about glory in which God intended from the very beginning. And we know from the very beginning that families have been under attack. I've, I've got this theory, and I have no basis for it, but I believe there's a reason why Satan chose to attack Eve. You see, because by doing so, Satan wasn't simply attacking an individual, he was attacking the family as a whole. 
He could have easily gone to Adam before Eve had even been created and said, hey, why don't you eat some of this fruit? And I'm not so arrogant to say that because Adam was a male that for some reason he wouldn't have been tempted by that. But it was two birds with one stone for Satan. And even today, he still hurls those stones at families. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we open up this book, and if you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to kind of breeze through this, but I want to give you an example of one family, and then we're going to move on to another. 1 Samuel chapter 1, the book opens up, and we get this long list of names, most of which we'll never hear again, but there's one name that is of some consequence, and we're going to hear it a few more times in a couple of chapters. The name is Elkanah. Elkanah is a man, but he's probably not a very smart man because Elkanah chooses to have two wives at the same time. And so Elkanah has two wives, Paniah, and does anybody, can anybody guess the other's name? Hannah. And Paniah, she has many children, and that is a blessing, of course, especially uh, for their Jewish customs, but Hannah was barren. And, and Paniah, she, she made a big deal of the fact that she was the one who provided children, offspring for her husband Elkanah. But Hannah had none, and so Hannah would oftentimes pray to the Lord. And, and this is where we're introduced to this very uh, humorous and awkward scene, scenario, in which Hannah uh, goes to the temple, and she begins praying, and she prays very fervently, and as she's praying, we're introduced to another man whose name Eli. We know about him. He's been a judge before. He's now a priest. And he looks over, and he sees Hannah, and she's mumbling, and she's crying out, and she seems to be very emotional. And what does Eli assume? She's drunk. Hey, lady, this is the temple. It's early in the morning. Why are you drunk? Get out of here! And Hannah says, no, 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 you don't understand. I, I haven't been drinking. I've just been praying fervently to the Lord. Eli backs up a little and says, okay, you know, may what you wish be what the Lord desires. Hannah leaves, and of course, she has a child. Does anybody remember the child's name? Samuel. And it's, of course, uh, what First and Second Samuel is going to be largely about. And we could spend a lot of time talking about Samuel. And there's this great interplay between Hannah, who offers up her children, her son, so that they may grow in the Lord. And she understands family in a way that maybe we're less accustomed to. For her, family meant willing to offer everything, including a deeper relationship with them, so that they might come to know the Lord. And, and ironically, she hands her son Samuel over to Eli, who Eli, who had been a judge for 40 years, he was revered, but something's going on in Eli's life. And, and we have to read between the lines a little bit, but Eli has a couple of sons. Okay, Phineas and Hophni. Those are easy names to remember because they're so unusual. Phineas and Hophni. 
Okay, quick survey. Phineas and Hophni, good or bad? They're bad. They are very bad in the eyes of the Lord, 1 Samuel chapter 1 says, and, and goes on to list a few of the things that they had done. Not the least of which was basically they were stealing from God. The sacrifices would be made, the meat would be placed into this, this Lord large pot, this cauldron top, and they would have this three-pronged fork, uh, and they would, they would stick it in there, and whatever they pulled out, whatever the priest pulled out, that's the meat that they would get to eat. Okay. Well, what would happen was, before the meat would go into the pot, that which was to be sacrificed, they would send a messenger and say, hey, we want some of the meat, but we don't want it boiled, we prefer it roasted. These are the fathers of barbecue. And they said, we don't want the boiled meat. We want, we want to take the meat ourselves with the fat still on it. And so they would go to these other priests and those who were doing this and say, we want you to give us this meat. And if they said, no, it's got to go in because that's what the Lord wills is it goes first into the pot, they would say, you're going to give it to us or we'll take it by force. So these men loved their food. But they didn't seem to love God. In fact, another verse talks about how they were having immoral relationships with some of the women who came into the temple. It was a disgrace to the people who went to the temple and knew and saw how Phineas and Hophni were living and acting and treating other people and stealing from God. And so God goes to Eli. And He says, your boys aren't doing what's right. You need to do something about them, or I'm going to kill them. Eli thinks about it for a while. And he doesn't do anything. He's too afraid to confront his children. I mean, he told them once, you know what, this is really not the way you should be doing it. But they didn't listen to him, and so he just kind of backed away and said, well, you know, everything's going to work out okay. That's what he told Samuel. It wasn't too long after that that there was a, a war, a skirmish that broke out. It was larger than a conflict. And in that time, 30 thousand Israelites lost their lives. News was brought back to Samuel. Samuel sitting in a seat. And they say, we've got some terrible news. The war was not in our favor. 30,000 people died. And in addition to that, the, the ark of the Lord was taken. And this brought great distress and grief upon Samuel. I'm I'm sorry, on, on Eli. And Eli was sitting in his chair and the messenger says, oh, and I have a little bit more bad news. He says, he says, is it about my son? And the messenger says, no, 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 it's about both of your sons. They, they died in battle. And I don't know if any of you remember this story, but in such great distress and relief, 
he fell backwards, broke his neck, and he died. That's, that's what we remember of this great judge. This one who had helped raise and teach and nurture Samuel. A mighty man of God. I don't know about you, but that's got to be one of the most haunting stories that I read in the Bible. There's some of them that are confusing. There's some of them that bring such a blessing and joy. But I read that one, and it scares me to death. This is, this is Eli, people. He's been a judge. He's revered. He's loved. And he's dead along with his two sons. There's something to be said about being a good leader. And there's something to be said about being a father. About being a mother. About being a son and a daughter and a brother and a sister. You see, God calls us first and foremost not to lead the world, but instead to honor and love and nurture and protect family. That's what God calls us to. God does not call me first and foremost to be the best minister that I can be. That's not number one on my list. And so if I fall short of that, well, you know, I... It wasn't my main goal anyway, right? That was a joke, but I guess it didn't go over that well. God calls me to be a minister, not, not first and foremost to you, but to the people I live with. And there will never be a church that I serve that is more important than the church that I live with. Eli, in his desire to be revered, in his desire to help other people, in his desire to uphold the will of God, he forgot family. And when family got left out, it broke apart. I'm not here to tell you that if you are in a, a broken or mixed family, that all is lost. I mean, to the contrary. What I'm saying is this. We need to reclaim family. We need to realize that those who are most important are those in which we live with, those who have been placed under our care. Now, for a good portion of you, you're saying, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I, my children are all gone. They live different places. I see my grandkids twice a year. Well, that's the beauty of family. Because even as family moves on, that doesn't mean that we wave the white flag and say, well, that's it, I'm done. God created the church to be an extension of our family. 
And even if our job is done, it never is. And I don't see them in here. They're normally sitting right up front, and I'm not sure where they are, so I'll I'll be okay with getting away with this. Um, I have some really great family here that love my children. And their children are gone. And their children have children, and their children's children have children. And they are now great-grandparents. But to my kids, D.A. and Jerry are family. There's some others in here that I, I could speak about that I consider you like family. And for whatever reason, maybe because of my wife and my kids, you consider me family. But that's what we're called to do. I want to share with you real quickly one more story, uh, maybe with a little bit better ending. After the, the exodus, the Israelites have crossed over the Red Sea, Pharaoh not only is not in the rearview mirror, uh, he's under the water. And they are heading towards the promised land. They get to the promised land, some spies are sent out, And ten of them say, wow, there is no way we can go across here and conquer these people. And I just want to tap them on the shoulder and say, don't you remember the Red Sea, the parting, the the walking across? That That was pretty neat, wasn't it? But they've forgotten about it. Manna and quail still on their breath. They have forgotten that God provides. And they get there and they say, we can't do it. God says, okay, you're going to wait here for 40 years. And I'm going to raise up a people who say, yeah, we can't do it, but God can do it. It's what Joshua and Caleb wanted them to do all along. Two of the spies. Joshua and Caleb continue to live on past that 40 years. And as we know, they do make it across the Jordan. There is another crossing uh, of a little bit smaller body of water, but they make it a, a cross, and they go through, and because of the Lord, He works so powerfully, and they are able to make the promised land their home. And Joshua, the book of Joshua is coming to an end. Joshua himself is coming to an end. He realizes this, and in the last chapter, Joshua chapter 24, he makes this statement about how great and awesome God is, and he has the most brilliant speech I think I've ever heard, short of anything that came from the Lord. He's there with the people, and he says to them, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And he goes on to list, well, if you want to uh, serve you know, the gods of your forefathers and the land that you came from, or the god of the Amorites in whose land you're living, he says, but as for me and who? My house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I don't think we can underscore enough. He, he is pointing out that he is not making a statement for himself only, nor is he trying to make a blanket statement for everybody there. He's not saying, this nation will serve the Lord. He doesn't say, I'm going to serve the Lord. He says, me and my house, my family, we will serve the Lord. And everybody says, yes, that's right. We're going to serve the Lord too. And you know what he says? Ah, you can't do it. 
It's in here. Read Joshua chapter 24. He says, ah, God's too holy and He's too powerful. You can't do it. And they say, no, no, no. Yes, we can. And He says, yes, you can. And you're all witnesses to the fact. But what is so important about Joshua chapter 24 is he stands up and he says, God and family are important. I don't know what family looks like for you now. I don't know if family involves adolescents or toddlers or diapers. It may involve long distance phone calls. It may involve the once a year going halfway across the country to sit down and eat a quick meal with the family before you go back. For some of you, family means that people may be far off or no longer around. But I want you to know that that God's not done with you. And God wants you to embrace Him and care for your family. This is, this is my plea. Let's take care of our families. There's some of you who haven't talked to your sister maybe in a long time. Ever since the comment she made several years ago, I just can't do it. Maybe you haven't had a conversation with your son in several years. For some of you, you've really lost that relationship with your spouse. And you're not sure that you love them anymore. And you're just trying to hang on for the kids. But let me tell you something. God created family so that He might be glorified through it. And you can look at that spouse of 20 years, and you can begin praying for them, and you can begin looking for the good in them, and you can realize that they are a creation of God's. And what better way to honor God than to reconcile that relationship. God can be glorified through families, through hurt, through terrible comments. God allows His name to be glorified through family. And if you're able to do that, if you open yourself up to that, you'll be amazed at what He can do in your life. This morning, I want us to take back our families. Let's love them. Let's forgive them. And let's honor God through them. Maybe you don't have a family. Maybe you don't know a family. Maybe you've lost your family. Maybe you really want one. One of the reasons why we're here It's because we want family too. And we want to be your family. And if you feel like you've been the prodigal son, 
we want to treat you not like the older brother in the field, but the father who opens up his hands and says, get the ring because you're family. It's what God says. And what he, that's what He calls us to. This morning, if there's any way that we can serve you, if, if you want to come back and be a part of a family, we want to welcome you into that. We want you to know that our Father, our Abba, our Daddy is there for us. If there's any way we can help you, please come as we stand and sing.